Communications, good people. Thank you for tuning in to the Slow Wealth Podcast that is Success Lives on Elevation. I am Kendra. And this is Ramon. As we have in our previous shows, we'll start with a powerful motivational quote. It starts by saying, work hard in silence. Let your success be the noise. Mm. Yeah, they say that the worst Actually or the, speak, the um, best, mm-hmm. actually the best revenge that you can get on somebody is success. That's true. I believe that. I do too. I do too. You ain't doing it for them. You're doing it for you. But hey, what's better than somebody seeing you shine? You can say a lot more when you don't say nothing. Yeah, that's so true. Because people go, they go crazy when they, mm. you know, when there's just silence. You know, they ignorant and you being silent. But see, when people are, quote unquote, hating and you just shining on them, that's like, (laughs) you know, that's the worst, you know, because like they say, you're supposed to keep, you know, certain things secret, your relationship, your money, and then your next move. That is it right there. Yeah. That is it. All right. Well... We are going to talk about the current housing market. We can start by doing that. You ready for that, Ramon? Come on, let's get it. All right. Okay. You want me to start off? You can start. All right. So I've been reading a couple articles for the last last couple days, actually. Um, The first article... Uh, comes from Redfin, uh, the Redfin CEO. He was stating um, how the current housing market, it's great because, mm-hmm. of course, interest rates are lower. However, we have like, you know, this at this time, you know, the stigma where people are losing their jobs and, you know, people are being infected with uh, the virus and then people, some people are dying um, from the virus. However... Business is great. And he didn't say it the way I'm saying it. I'm just kind of giving you a, sub- a synopsis of what he said. Um, I mean, you have, you also have widespread protesting, you know, for police brutality and um, misdistribution of uh, wealth and resources. Mm-hmm. Um, racism, of course, which we've been fighting forever. But, um, yeah, it's, it's just a lot of things happening in the background in addition to double-digit uh, unemployment. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, again, the Redfin CEO was commenting on all this, but he's like, business is like picking up, you know, for us. And they're thinking about expanding. Redfin is thinking about expanding in other markets because right now their biggest markets is like uh, Seattle, San Francisco. But they want to go into smaller markets such as... Um, you know, places like Austin, hope, hopefully, <laughs> will be a bigger market for Redfin. Um, but Phoenix, Sacramento, Vegas, and Detroit are definitely some of the areas that they're hitting more aggressively. I think that's too because of uh, what we talked about last, I think last podcast, where a lot of people are moving from the bigger cities into the smaller cities. So, you know, the Seattle and LA and New York, all these places that is really expensive. A lot of people are moving. And especially since a lot of these people that work for companies like Facebook and Google and all that, where they can work from home. 
right. Twitter, you know, they can work from anywhere. So they're like, well, now I'm just taking my pay with me to a smaller city that's that costs less. Right. So, you know, it's like you win it. So now you got to think about, too, a lot of people who come from the West Coast. Or that live are, in the West Coast. Or, yeah, that live in the West Coast are used to paying, you know, for a house out there. What's, what's the average house in California? 999000 You can get a... You can get a <laughs> you can get a badass house down Man, here in the great state of Texas. Three pools, four four right. five garages. Like you can get a lot, you know, when you come over to the Midwest and in the mm-hmm. South. Um, so as as Red Fin, I, I I have no doubt Red Fin is coming to Austin. Oh, like even bigger than they are because Austin is still I don't know if it's still one or two fastest growing city um, next to Tacoma, Washington, and Colorado Springs. Colorado Springs. So. Yeah, because you got to think about Denver, how they shot up in, in, in their property value. Oh, my God, it's so expensive now. So you got people moving from Denver. Colorado Springs is, was that an hour? Yeah, it's about 45 minutes to an hour. So people in California, they're like, oh, that, they used to doing that. Mm-hmm. They used to being in traffic for an hour and a half. Some people drive two hours. I'm like, that's crazy. But, <laughs> um, you know, like he said, I, what I, the one thing I have noticed is a lot more owner-occupants. That are buying properties, so now a lot of those because uh, it was it was a guy I listened to on YouTube who uh, he invests in Fresno, California, and he has a lot of realtors that he speaks with, and they were telling him that there is a low supply, a low inventory of properties on the market. So normally that's 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 what you would call a buyer's market or a seller's market. You know, the buyer's market, it'd be a high supply of properties on the, on the market. There's not a lot of stuff on for yeah. sale. So no, every no. property is getting like, she told she told him on Fresno, she's getting like 35. She had 35 um, viewings in the first 24 hours. Yeah, and that's the thing too. These houses, let's say a house goes on the market for 200000 and you, the potential buyer, makes an offer for 215000 and you're being outbidded. So you, like, if you try to buy a house or a property and people are, um, you know, overbidding, however, these properties are being sold for significantly more than the um, sale price. So it, it's kind of tripped out how everything is happening. Like, it, it, no matter if you make a... 15,000, 20,000, 30,000, 50,000 over asking in your bid, you're being over. Like people are paying 100,000 more than asking price in some area, area, excuse me, which is crazy. We saw a four unit in um, the Seattle area that went on the market for when when we were buying, it was on the market, but it was on the market for 700. And then they took, you know, they, made some some modifications to it they put it back on the market for like nine hundred and ninety five thousand, and this is a four unit it was that one yeah, i think that was like in kent or Des Moines south or no it was south auburn mm-hmm. it was uh yeah because when they first put it on i think they wanted i think they were asking like eight hundred thousand or something but the market wasn't it, it was too given that yeah eight hundred thousand was way too much so they just waited and now property a four unit in in outside of seattle so where our property was you know 25 30 minutes maybe from seattle 
properties four units is still is is damn near a million dollars. Yeah, and you got to think about it. Not even five years ago, we talking about three years ago. Literally three years ago, properties were upper fours to six hundred thousand. If you got a property for a four unit for six hundred thousand, it was pretty much you know remodeled, uh, kitchen up to date, bathroom up to date. You know that was top of the line. Anything over that, over that six hundred thousand, that's where you were getting into. Uh, Bellevue, Seattle, and then maybe um, what's the other R city? Or oh, not Renton, but oh, Renton. Yeah, Renton. Renton. It's right yeah. Seattle. So um, those were the places you would pay a little bit more in the area that we, you know, bought our four unit in. Yeah, you probably find it around five hundred thousand uh-huh. in a matter of a couple of years. You're talking about a four hundred thousand dollar growth, like. Properties that people were buying for five hundred thousand at the mo- you know we'd say at the most are now selling for nine hundred and fifty thousand. And this isn't just us throwing out fictitious numbers. These numbers are real. You know when we look on um, agent sites and stuff like that. But I was also reading on Forbes. Um, uh, let's see. Quicken Loans said that um, the number of new home sales has surged 55%. And this is since the coronavirus started. So this is this year, the first six months of this year. Well, um, you got to think the interest rates is really surging a lot of these um, new home sales mm-hmm. because they're historically low. Like right. you can get a house. Um, I just saw they actually offering fifteen year loans under two uh, percent. Like there, or I'm sorry, two two. Uh, what did I see? It, it, it might have been two point seven five or two and a half percent. And one uh, lender, where they're a mortgage broker, um, I think thirty years they had was like under one point eight five or something like that. Like you're talking about now, like like you said. Houses that you probably wouldn't have been able to afford last year, you can get in now. Right, you know? but yeah, or, if, if or you can get a good you know? bid in. <laughs> that's, 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 see, that's uh-huh. the thing, though. Because see, there aren't enough houses being sold. There's a, tons of buyers, but not enough houses on the market. And it makes it a very dangerous time. Yeah. Because as, as good as the market is right now, as much as properties are selling, um, for high amounts, so you know, in a seller's case, they're winning um, because you know if you put up something on the market and you're getting twenty, thirty offers, I mean, nine times out of ten, you're gonna sell that for more than what you were asking. Um, but like I said before, there's a lot more people who are buying properties to owner occupy, right? Because now you can get a lower interest rate, thirty year term loan, lower interest rate, and whatever you were paying in rent or mortgage before. You're probably paying that now, you know, or lower um, because the interest rates have dropped. So, yeah, I think last year the interest rate was 4 to 5%. Um, now you're talking about under 3%, close to 2%. Right. Like, that's, that's, that's a few hundred dollars in savings, like, as far as your monthly payment. But that could equate to you being able to now afford a property for $100,000 more. So, you know, depending on what kind of property that is, you know, that, that could be a real advantage. Um, but it's dangerous because 
is going to kind of put people to that place where they may go out and get a property uh, and they may pay more than what it's really worth. Right. That's so and you true. don't want to do that and, and get yourself, put yourself underwater. I, we said in the last podcast, like, do your research. You know what I mean? Don't, don't just try to get in that position where you just want a property that you're just willing to pay whatever for it. Because um, I forgot the article where I seen it where a lot of the properties that's on the market, like I said, are a lot of them is owner-occupants. Owner mm-hmm. And the investors are getting outbid by them. Because you got to think, as an owner-occupied buyer, let's say I'm using FHA, I now can have a 30-year loan with, uh, I believe now, I think the interest rate is somewhere around 2.3%, I now, and my mortgage is going to be, now an investor comes in, he's not living on the property. So he has a non-owner occupied loan. So he's probably going to be paying still around 45 5%, maybe a little bit more. Right. His interest is only his, equitable. Yeah, his interest. So his payment, he's going to put more money down and his payment monthly is going to be more than yours. It's going to be more than yours, even though you're owner occupied. So you're, you're basing the position to offer the seller a higher price. So that's what's happening. And like I said, it's dangerous because it might just be putting people in a position where they're going to be paying more for a property than they should be. Um, but I don't want to say that to make people feel like, hey, well, you know, let me sit on the sidelines. Let me not go buy nothing because I don't want to get outbidded or I don't want to, you know, feel like I need to go buy something. Buy something. There's deals out here. There's always going to be deals out here. Just do your homework, you know. Know your area. Look in your backyard first. Yes, absolutely. Also, Quicken Loans has funded a record $120 billion in home loans. And this is just in the first six months of 2020. It broke the record for its best lending year ever. And this is only you know, from January to June, Uh six months to go, you know, then. Um, And then as far as like refinancing, mortgages have jumped 111%. Um, So a lot of, not just Quicken Loans, but a lot of other lenders have had uh, excellent quarters Uh this year. The best, practically almost the best ever. So... That's saying a lot about this pandemic. It's it's horrible, you know, but it's profitable for some people. Obviously, we won't get into any of that because then it starts to get political and we're not going to go there. So let's get started with our podcast. With all of that said, our podcast today is going to be about the uh, taboo topic in real estate, which uh, for real estate and investors, which is Section 8. We're going to deal, we're going to unfold a lot of things, especially with all these misconceptions. So Mm. what, so Ramon, Uh we've heard it all. We've seen it all. I don't want to say all, but we've experienced a lot with the misconceptions of Section 8. What are some of the misconceptions? I think the first one that comes to mind that I think a lot of people when they think of Section 8, and, and and when I say this, 
I'm going to say it's from an investor standpoint, but it's probably from people who don't own real estate. When you hear Section 8, you kind of think of the hood, you know, low income, ghetto, drug addicts, um, you know, just an area where you feel like, you know, I wouldn't want to live there, you know, uh, roaches, you know, all of that crap, right? And in some cases, in some instances, that is, that's true. Um, but overall, that is not Section 8. Um, and so, you know, we're going to really kind of talk about it because a lot of, and we've seen firsthand a lot of um, investors that shy away completely from Section 8. Like, it's almost like saying the boogeyman, you know, you say Section 8, they're like, ooh, no. Right. And, you know, we've kind of used that to our advantage. And, you know, we're going to kind of, you know, tell you and show you how you can use that to your advantage to build your rental portfolio. Because, I mean, Section 8 is actually a good a good thing, a good tool. Um, and it's needed. So it's just like it's just like welfare, you know. A lot of people feel a certain way about welfare. But at the end of the day, some some form or some type of welfare is needed because everybody, you know, at some point needs help in some way. So, you know, Section 8, that is, that's what it's there for. Um, so, The other misconception is that everyone that's on Section 8 doesn't work, they're lazy, blah, blah, blah. That is not true yeah. because most, honest, to be honest with you, by numbers, most people that are on Section 8 or any sort of government housing program, a lot of them work, but they live, um, they make under the um, poverty level. So they may be working two jobs and still live in poverty as mm-hmm. far as um, income. So that's just kind of to clear the air about that. Now, we're not saying that, you know, that's the case for everyone on Section 8. Of course, there's always exceptions. But for the most part, most people that we have spoken to, um, that we know, um, just, you know, that we've been acquainted with in um, with investing and, you know, and such going to different events, and they do take Section 8, there's not a lot of horror stories um, that we've that we've heard. Um, for the most part, people work, take care of their place because they know how hard it is to get on that Section 8 list. And I'm reading now that in some states, they close the wait list for years. Like in one place, they closed it in 2014. So that means you could have been waiting on that list for two years. And then it closed and they just reopened it almost six years later. Mm-hmm. So that really means something. You're waiting for, you know, proper housing and, um, you know, they're, they're, they're waiting to have, you know, half their rent supplemented by the government so that they could live in nicer areas. That's true. I mean, you know, there's so many, so many misconceptions, you know. You know, your rent won't be on time or they'll destroy your property. Um, you know, you can't get your, you know, or for an investor, you know, if they have a property that it'll be hard to get uh, their unit HUD approved so they can accept Section 8. So um, those are just some kind of a few uh, common misconceptions about Section 8 that I think a lot of people uh, have misinterpreted. Right. What are some of the advantages of having Section 8, especially through this time um, where we're going through um, a pandemic? I think one is that you get your rent on the first of the month 
every month. Every on month. time. On time, like clockwork. Automatically deposited. Sometimes you'll see a pending. Oop, there it is. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> you'll see a pending like on the thirty first or the thirtieth, whatever, whichever, however many days in the month previous, you'll see it come through. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's HUD, it's federal, so that portion that of their rent, you know, the federal government pays, so you get it automatically. So, <clears throat> you know, if you have a tenant paying a thousand dollars a month, and let's say HUD is paying eight hundred of it, well, that's eight hundred. You don't even have to worry about if you're going to get it or not. The 200, then you got to worry about that from the tenant. And in a time like this, you know, coronavirus, like 200 is not a lot of money, but sometimes some people, you know, we got one tenant right now. She, I think her rent is uh, 157. Her portion? Her portion. Mm-hmm. And she has a hard time paying that. And so it just, you know, the more they pay, the more HUD pays of the tenant's rent, the better. Because again, at a time like this, the most rent, you know, the more rent you can get, you know what I mean? That just helps you as a, as an owner. Um, some other advantages is that the tenants do come pre-screened. So when they get onto Section 8, they do kind of have to have their own background check and all of that just to be on Section 8. Now, it does not mean that you should not screen them again as a tenant in your unit. It's just to say that they already kind of are pre-screened for you. Um, but you still do your due diligence and still screen them as any other tenant. Um, another advantage is you have lower vacancy rates, lower, less turnover. Because they wait so long to get on Section 8, they're less likely to leave Section 8. So as long as you know you have a good unit, you'll probably keep that tenant for years. Like We had our first our first property. You know, we had one tenant, she was there 12 years. 12 years. Um, yeah. And it was up there, you know, still there up until the time we sold. So it just, that's kind of one of the advantages. Um, you get uh, free advertising. So there's a website, one website called Go Section 8. You can put your listing out there. Um, if you got a unit available, and that's free. You don't have to pay anything for it. So anybody that has Section 8, that's one of the places they're going to go to to look for rent for, uh, for units that's available. Um, and that's, I think that's pretty much all over the country. Um, the, another advantage would be, uh, you know, again, like we said, the wait list for to get on Section 8 is so long that you had tenants that be, they're more willing to pay their rent. Because their portion is so small, that's just a more incentive for them to pay and they don't want to lose that benefit. If you have a tenant that's not subsidized, um, that has Section 8 that's paying 1000 a month, and you have another tenant that's paying $1,000 a month, but only one tenant is paying a portion of that, you're probably going to, you know what I mean, especially around COVID, that tenant that's not uh, subsidized, you have to now worry about that whole $1,000 that you're about to get from them. They might not even have it. You might have to take partial payments, or you may even uh, eventually have to evict that tenant because they may not be able to pay. Hmm. But that Section 8 tenant... You know, our HUD said, we got 800 of it. It's already in your account. Then if you don't get that 200 from that tenant, you're not in a bad position. You know what I mean? You just got 80% of your rent. Right. So, you know, that's better than nothing. You can work that out. Um, so that's some uh, advantages, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Um, again, as Ramon said, you know, people wait. <laughs> as we both mentioned, people wait a long time to get 
um, just on a list and you don't, you know, they don't know where they are on that list. And uh, in many, many cities, um, as I look now, they've closed their Section 8 wait list. And um, some, in some places, it's not expected to be reopened for another couple of years because a, a lot of people that have been waiting prior to this year have been waiting years in their, you know, because of COVID, a lot more landlords are accepting Section 8. Man, I've been trying to tell these folks. Yeah, they're starting to, and I'm just reading that, you know, on um, a couple of Section 8 uh, websites for different places. And I'm like, wow. And I bet you a lot of them is those same uh, uh, investors that was like, no, I ain't taking no Section Mm -hmm. 8. Hell no. You know, (laughs) they see now. Right. Hey. Now, I will tell you, now, well, let's go to the next question. Yeah, the, um, and of course, there's advantages. We, we, We discussed that. There's also disadvantages. Let's uh, go over some of those disadvantages of Section 8. Maybe starting with I'll say working with the quick. tenants before we get into the disadvantages of the actual process of HUD. Well, I mean, well, that that's going to be... <laughs> that's a lot, you know what I'm saying? You talk about... Because it, it just depends on the tenant. Like, Section 8 doesn't depict always how your tenant is going to be. Um, sometimes you get a really good tenant and they just happen to be on Section 8. Um, so, you know, one thing I will say, though, around now with uh, coronavirus, one disadvantage, so to, so to speak, is when they when they enact the eviction moratorium. That's canceled. Or that's expired. It expired, but they're going to put it back. And now this time, we don't know how long they're going to do it because the Senate and the House can't agree. But Trump did already say that he can put a, he can sign an executive order um, and eviction being one of them. Um, but even still, if you have a government-backed mortgage, you cannot evict your tenants. So that's kind of one disadvantage right now um, that, you know, now, the other thing, though, is that your tenant, for one, has to know that you have a government-backed loan. I wouldn't tell them. <laughs> Don't say anything, you know what I mean? But if they happen to know, you know, and they'll probably find out if you end up having to go to court to evict the tenant, the lawyer is probably going to ask you more than likely, do you have an FHA or a government-backed loan? But if you have Section 8, if anyone in your property, from what I was told, um, I think where I read, um, I don't know how many or if it's just one Section 8 tenant, that'll prevent you from doing an eviction as well because you're getting government assistance. Mm. So um, that is going to force, and this is the thing too, it's going to force a lot of, and it's already forced a lot of owners to um, do forbearance. Yeah, mortgage forbearance. Which, you know, I, I'm not really into that because I think it has a, I think it's going to hinder some people because they say it doesn't hurt your credit, but I think it does. And then also when you go to try to get another property, they're going to see that forbearance in your credit. So now you're going to have to show even more that you'll be able to afford that next property. Yeah, but the government has said that it's not supposed to be a reflection 
of the forbearance on your credit. That they've kind of made those promises, but banks have it's been left up to you know to the decision that's, that's, of the this discretion. Excuse me, that's of what they, the bank. That's what they and call. most banks that's have they, been like, nope. You take this forbearance. You either got to pay it back after three months, six mm-hmm. months. We're not putting it to the back of your loan. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some banks that have been working with people. However, those same people um, that have been able to defer their uh, loan payments due, you know, due to COVID, have seen an effect on a negative yeah. mark on yeah, their credit. Course, so yeah. it, it's it, it's going to hurt, you oof, know, because that's it's terrible. I mean, um, but at the same time, if you have to do it, you know, if 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 you have to do forbearance do it you know what i mean because you know you don't want to lose anything that's going to keep you from losing your house or your property then you got to do what you got to do um at the same time you know it's just knowing that okay this may hurt this may hurt my credit somewhat and this may hurt me in the future if i go to try to buy something else because like you said the banks is left up to the banks and so the banks can put what they call overlays so you know, just like FHA now, the minimum credit score is a 620. But that bank can tell you, no, nah, we're only taking people with a, with at least a 650. They can do that. So um, I think now it, it's kind of, uh, what they say, treacherous waters, where you kind of you kind of really, you know, they're giving you options to get through this coronavirus, but you really have to assess your, your own situation financially right. to see, okay, if I do this, what is that going to affect me down the line? If I take this forbearance, you know, if I if I don't evict this tenant now, who's not paying, and now the you know the moratorium is off, you're gonna have an influx of people that's already about to get evicted. You know, you have to assess your situation and see you know what you're going to do now, um, and you know how it's going to affect you in the future. So, um, what are some other disadvantages? Some other disadvantages I would say is um, you have to wait to get your voucher from Section 8. So, you know, if you go get an unsubsidized tenant, you show them the unit, you do the background check and whatever. If you like them, you want to move them in, you tell them, hey, bring me the deposit in first month's rent within two days, one day, whatever, and you give them the keys and, you know, they can move in. With Section 8, all of those things you do, but then you also have to have HUD come out and inspect your unit. And they're going to be inspecting it. They got a list of things that they look for, uh, you know, making sure you got GFCI uh, outlets and there's no fray carpet and no chip paint, all the normal things. Once you pass inspection, then they give you your voucher. So that process can take a month to two months uh, before you actually get your first check for a HUD. Um, another disadvantage: you may steer away. People who are not on Section 8. Like I said before, when people hear Section 8, they interpret, they have this own interpretation in their mind of, of the kind of people they think are on Section 8. And if they think, oh man, everybody that's on Section 8 is drug addicts and, you know, whatever, I don't want to live next to that person. Now, I would say personally, I wouldn't want you to live in my property if you think like that. But, some people, they don't want to steer those people away because they feel like, well, that might be a tenant that's willing to pay more rent. Who knows? But that is that could be one disadvantage. Um, the last one I can think of is if you go to sell your property at a later date, 
sometimes it could be harder to sell the property when you have Section 8 tenants. Um, we did have that when we tried to sell our first property. Uh, I think we had, I think, two offers that they ended up backing out once they found out that uh, two of our tenants were Section 8. And the funny thing about that is that they paid the most in rent. Yeah, the most rent was coming from the Section 8 tenants, <laughs> and they was actually the best tenants. Right. So, yeah, but, you know, that was they lost. Right. Too bad for them. Anyways, moving on. Um, what is the selection process uh, for Section 8 tenants? You screen them really like any other tenant. So, you know, there's no really special process. Like we said before, they do kind of come pre-screened through Section 8. But you still want to screen them like any other tenant, background, credit check, criminal history, all of that stuff. Um, now, on this, I don't want to forget fair housing. When you screen in any tenant, this is just not Section 8. You have to make sure that you know the laws in your city. Yeah, in Be- your area, in your specifically. Area. Because there's some cities like Seattle where you cannot decline someone's application because of their criminal history. And I, I, I think it's, uh, if it's within, is it within seven years or? I don't, I don't It's know. something, I don't, don't quote me, but like. Seattle's. They, they can have a criminal history within a certain amount of years. And you can't tell, you can't, you cannot decline them based off of that. Um, they have the first come, first serve. So let's say you have your own criteria. They got to have this credit score. Boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. The first person that meets your qualification, you have to take them. So if you don't know all these things and a tenant calls about your unit, sometimes fair housing will call acting like a tenant and they'll ask you questions about your unit. And if you say the wrong thing, you'll get fined. So if you say, uh, I don't take Section 8 people, mm-hmm. that first fine I, I, I think is between five, ten thousand dollars $10,000. The next one is higher. And um, they just keep going they up. They keep going, but I think it can get to the point where they can probably end up... Prosecuting you. Probably, yeah, they can prosecute you. Um, so you might in your head say, I don't want no Section 8. I don't want no nobody with a criminal history. I don't want nobody, you know, anything. You know, because, I mean, there's some people with some things on their record that make people kind of feel funny. You know, if you have, a, a, I don't know, sexual harassment or... A, if you rape someone, yeah, you know what I mean, murdered like, someone. That, and if you the bad part about that is if your other tenants find that out, which you can't tell them, that's another you know legal thing. But if they were to find that out, you could possibly lose your other tenants because if they have kids, and let's say they have something on their record, that's one. You know what that is sexual one thing, offenders. You know, if you're a sex offender, though, that's I think that's one thing that no. Oh, that you, isn't you can you still got to take them. What? I think the only thing I think the only thing you can you can deny them I want to say if it's murder, um, it's certain it's certain offenses, but it's not just that offense. It has to be a certain type. Oh. Yeah, I should have pulled that up, but yeah, the yeah. sex offender. You know, if this guy next door to you has is on the sex offender list and you got kids, that can make anybody nervous. You're like, oh, I'm not gonna live next to him, mm-hmm. and you could lose your tenants. You know, so it's like. This so many I have so many opinions about that, but again, you have to know your laws in your city, um, or it can really cost you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how do you build 
a rapport and communicate with your tenants and their caseworkers? So, um, I'll just strictly say the caseworker. Caseworker. The tenant, you know, we've talked about that before in the podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, The the case with Section 8, the one of the most important persons that you're going to deal with is the caseworker. Um, and now the caseworker is the person who handles the file of the Section 8 tenant. Um, that's the one that you're going to be dealing with as far as any kind of paperwork or anything like that. Um, rent increases, all of that stuff. Um, you, What I did when we first bought the property, because uh, one of the first things, like I said before, is when you buy a property that has Section 8 tenants, you have to let them know that you are the new owner. Um, Cause this actually happened to us twice. We bought a property, and Section Eight office did not know we were the new owner in time. <laughs> the second time, and so when enough. those when the first of the month came around, those checks for the Section Eight tenant went to the old owner, and then now we have to go through the process of trying to get that back <laughs> from the old owner, and it took a while. So um, before you close, if you know you have Section Eight tenants. You want to get with your realtor to be in um, in communication with the Section 8 office, letting them know, hey, listen, we're going to buy this property. We're closing on this date. If it's before the 1st, you want to let that Section 8 office know immediately and let them know to put a stop payment on those checks so they don't go out. You want those checks to come to you. Um, so that's just one little uh, piece of information. Um, What's some other ways that you should build a rapport with uh, the caseworker? I mean, like I said, introduce yourself. Go down to the Section 8 office. I mean, you can email or call them. It's best um, to show up in person because yeah. we both did, but we did it at different times. Because I, I remember I mean, when I went mm-hmm. to the Section 8 office, they were like, the, the big guy, mm, he was might. like, yeah, I met your, you know, I met your husband. Mm. He hadn't formally did he formally meet you? I met him. I went oh, down yeah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, he was I talked like, to him on the phone first, and then mm-hmm. I actually went down there. So, they really do like that. And then um, we went to a trans seminar. Mm, the trade show. Trans trade is a trade show. A, a trade show. For anybody that don't know, it's in the state of Washington. Um, but they, they, all, they have them all over the country. They're not all called trends. But they're just a, 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 a place, a trade show where you can go, and it's all investors. Anybody that has anything to do with real estate, um, all these kind of businesses, you know, anything to do with your unit, roofing, paving, anything. It's a really great place to go and network. And they also have workshops. Workshops and seminars. About how to move a tenant in. What do you do when you're moving a tenant out? Um, how you screen tenants. How you uh, do Section 8. They actually have seminars for this. And so if you're in Washington, look up Trends. Um I don't know when they're going to have the next one because of coronavirus. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. but when we went to the trends um, trade show, we we got to meet basically the entire staff that works um, in the Section 8 office in the area that we stayed in. And they were just, I mean, they were so ecstatic that people were actually, you know, um, to speak to owners that actually accepted Section 8, because there's not, there again, there's that stigma of, you know, um, Section 8 tenants, and they were like, oh, man, we just love to speak to They were practically begging people. Yeah, uh, they were. To, to they were, they were they like, like, okay, well, why, you know, can I speak with you? 
um, I can come out to your property. I heard them speaking the other, you know, to other mm-hmm. people, and they were like, "Well, why don't you take Section Eight? You know, mm-hmm. they were basically trying to recruit people because you got to understand again, going back to the list, they'll open the list. That list can be closed to uh, potential uh, Section Eight tenants for many, many years. So mm-hmm. there are people that have been waiting on a list. Bless. Oh, she got the coronavirus. <laughs> Hey, we don't have a show next week. You know why? No, you know what? And, and just off subject, if you got allergies like I do, and you sneeze in public, I swear to God, people be looking like they want to hang you, like you a uh, Salem witch or something. Man, I had to hold my sneeze. They give you a death like, stare. Everything. It's like, man, mm-hmm. it's, it's allergy season. Come on now. Everybody look at you. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to the caseworkers, they were literally trying to recruit um, owners and um, investors and property managers to, you know, to let them know that hey, we do our pre-screening and and we pay on time. You know, please give us some reasons why you will not accept. Um, you know, Section 8. But the fact is, is that anytime we called, emailed, whatever, mm-hmm. we always got a response from um, our tenants' caseworkers. It, it was never, uh, you know, you have to wait and and see or, you know, they get back to you a week later. It was always within 24 hours. Yeah, like I said, yeah. They're very, they're very responsive. Go to your Section 8 office, find out who who your tenants' caseworkers are, because they may not have the same caseworker. They may have different caseworkers. Fill out any paperwork you need to fill out um, and introduce yourself. Let them know who you are, the property you own, what tenants you have, and just let them know, you know, you want to work together. You know, you have any issues, you want to be able to contact them, you know, and vice versa. Um, they're going to be very valuable to you. Um, and like I said, that's probably going to be one of, if not the most important, important person that you're going to deal with when you talk about section eight. Um, so that's just my advice. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And you always want to keep your caseworker in the, you know, in the lines of communication. So if you're handling, if you're handing a notice to your tenant, um, you want to make sure that the caseworker also receives any notices that you give to your tenants. Next question. Because you just answered that. <laughs> no, let's just keep, let's just keep going. So, just I, keep going I, so I'll ask you this. Just flow with it. Flow so with it. So how do you handle serving tenants, Section 8 tenants, notices? Or just tenants? Is it the same as is a regular tenant? Or do you serve them differently? Well, I mean... It's pretty much the same. You definitely want to see what is applicable to your state laws. So always check what your state laws are to hand to handle notices because, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, background work other than just slapping this notice on the door or sending something in the mail. But in addition to that, um, just to give you an example, we had a tenant that <laughs> some tenants that had a... Uh, a private quarrel <laughs> and we ended up finding out about it and um, one of the tenants uh, was harassing a single female tenant 
he was harassing her and uh, she was basically in fear for her life as any single woman should when a man kicks, literally kicks in your door. And when it got to that point, she waited a week to tell us. And we were like, okay, so did you call the police? Because this had happened a week ago. Mm-hmm. And she provided us with the police reports and such and blah, blah, blah. Well, anyway, the, the tenant who had, um, not the victim, but the uh, perpetrator. <laughs> sound like a cop. The perpetrator. The perpetrator. He, um, he ended up stating that he wanted to move. Now, um, aside from him wanting to move, all the paperwork that we received from the victim, we had to turn that information into Section 8 also. Um, and this goes back to the advantages, too, of having Section 8. Because he had done something like that, um, that causes you know issues on several levels. Because if you can't handle where you're living now, that is going to affect your future Section 8 benefits. We had to turn that information that she gave us, like police reports and the damage that he had done, over to Section 8. And Section 8 was, you know, basically like, well, they could be like, you're not going to receive any more benefits. And he did not, just to let you know, he did not receive any benefits after that. Because remember I told you he called me mm-hmm. a couple times mm-hmm. and that was one of the things that, I think I told you that. That was one of the things. He lost, yeah, he lost his, <laughs> he lost his Section 8 benefits. Because he, like, literally was harassing her. Um, but just to just to go back to serving notices, we had to serve him a notice. Um, because at that time, he didn't want to pay rent either. But he didn't want to lose his benefits. Mm-hmm. Okay? So he had made it up in his mind since he and this, uh, he and the victim tenant had um, gotten into it and he said, you know what, I don't want to live here anymore. I'm going to move. He was like, I don't have to pay rent. So we had to serve him a notice. Mm-hmm. Help me out here because I don't know I'm going to forget some things. We had to serve him a notice, yeah, give that him. notice to his uh, caseworker. And his caseworker was asking us to provide information to her. I think it was a new lease. Mm-hmm. The uh, police, because I had to... Uh, emailed them the police records and something else and she had to call she called she called him and was like um man what you doing you gonna lose your benefits you have to pay them their rent mm-hmm. he paid us the rent but then what protocol did we have to go through that's i think that's where i'm getting so lost when the, when the one thing she said that we want to point out is normal situation you serve the tenant a notice applicable to the state law so most states you know you get it you either give it to them in, in person uh or you put it on their door and then you also mail them a copy so we follow that but in addition to that when you talk about section eight you want to also send the same notice to the caseworker because you're keeping the caseworker in the loop and the caseworker knows okay what's going on so if you get to the situation where you have to evict the tenant that caseworker knows, okay, they know why you're leaving. You're trying to get this tenant out. Um, so in that case, uh, like she said, we sent the caseworker all the paperwork and everything. And, you know, he was trying to get out of paying. It, it was just a bunch of mess. But um, it's good to have Section 8 in that situation because you have somebody else helping you. You know, where if the, t- if the tenant was unsubsidized, it's just you and the tenant. And eventually, in the court system, be, that takes yeah, two months. 
Right, and eventually it'd be you and then the court, you know, the lawyer, the lawyer attorney, and then the judge. But in this uh, situation, because a lot of tenants wait, you know, forever to get on that list, you can just call up that caseworker and say, hey, which we did. Hey, this guy is giving us some problems. You know, you, you need to talk to him. And the first time it worked, he was a little mad, you know, but I told him. Hey, <laughs> he wasn't mad. He was pissed. He was pissed, but I told him, <laughs> hey, it was like, you know, like I said, hey, it's like calling somebody mama on, on the little kid. Like, well, I'm going right. to tell you mama, you know, you, they don't want you to call the mama. So I called his caseworker, and, and, it, and it, it was squashed after that. But then that incident happened, and then pretty much at that point, we knew he was leaving, and it was just how we was going to get him out, what he owed before, because he, he didn't want to try to pay anything. Um, and we actually worked with him just to get him out early um, because he did owe us an extra money rent. So, But when you serve notices to uh, Section 8 tenant, it's the same way. Just do the extra step and send those same notices anytime you get them. To the caseworker. Yes, you definitely need a paper trail in the event of an eviction. So you want to CYA. Next question. All right. So <laughs> I'm being rushed here, as you can see. Um, how do you increase rent and how often? So increasing rent. We're going to this question. I know everybody want to hear about this. So... Section 8 is probably the easiest when it comes to increasing rent on a tenant. Like you said, a normal, well, one of our tenants uh, who was unsubsidized, when we bought the property, she was already under a lease. And a lot of this we, we've already said, but just to give this backstory again for anybody that's listening that's new. When we bought our first property, we had one tenant in there that was not a Section 8 tenant. The other two were. She was uh, under market rent, so she was only paying 1100 a month. The market rent, uh, once her lease became, uh, was going to expire, at that point was 1300 So for an unsubsidized tenant to pay an extra $200 a month, that's a big difference. Right. Um, now, fortunately, she said she could pay it, so we, we upped it to, to 1300 But when you're talking about a Section 8 tenant, the one Section 8 tenant we had, she was only paying eight fifty a month. And rents it and market rent is thirteen. So that's four hundred and fifty dollars. Well, guess what? We put in the rent increase form through Section 8. You put up you put in to increase their rent. And depending on the city that you live in, you're gonna have uh 30, 60, or 90 day notice. California, I believe, is 90 days. So if their lease is coming up, let's say it's going to end in May, by March 31st, you want to be putting in, or, yeah, is that March 31st? Mm -hmm. um, no, I'm sorry, that'd be February 28th, because March, April, May 1st, they want to go into effect. That's okay. it, right? Whatever. 60 days before they lease ends, right. you want to have that form in. Um, but the way it works with Section 8 is that the tenant, they won't allow the tenant to move anywhere or, or approve their uh, their HUD voucher if their portion of the rent is over 40% of their discretionary income. So she went from paying $850 a month to $1,300 a month, but she was only paying 
um, she ended up paying two hundred dollars more on her portion. Right. So she was originally paying like two two twenty a month. She went to paying four twenty a month, but the other eight hundred and some dollars, eight seventy nine, HUD paid that. So she's only paying an extra. She's only paying four hundred dollars a month for a unit that should be thirteen hundred. So you know when you talk about increasing the rent, it's much easier because all you do is put in the form, put in the rent that you want. Fill out all the amenities that your unit has, washer and dryer, uh, garage. Uh, and if you pay the utilities as the owner, you got to say that because you get a little bit more money because you're paying the utilities. Utilities is something that you can't fully control. So if I pay the utilities at the, as the owner, I want the full rent that I can get. Um, and so, oh, also with Section 8, when you talk about uh, increasing the rent, if they're on a year lease, just like any other tenant, you can only increase their rent once a year uh, when their lease is up. If they're month to month, then you can increase it, you know, however many times you want, as long as you still give them that notice prior to increasing their rent, which I think at that point might just be 30 days. So, um, yeah. Okay, now we can talk about Section 8 inspections. I think this would be a great time to talk about that because before um, rent increases, you you have to have an inspection. They don't do it every year. Some places only have rent, in, rent inspections, excuse me, uh, unit inspections every two years or something like that. I think ours was every two years. No, it was every, uh, every year. It was every year? I, I thought it was so. every two years. I think it was every year. Um, but in that case, so when it comes to inspections, if you have a tenant that's already in there, let's say you bought the property and they already live there, a lot of those Section 8 tenants, they know how to pass the inspection. And they will let you know what they need yeah, <laughs> to, yeah. to pass that inspection because they want to make sure that they keep their benefits. And if it's a place that they want to stay at, they don't have to worry about moving. Yeah, their carpet kind of frayed, sticking up or something. They'll tell you, hey, we got to get that fixed. Uh, if the outlets don't work or has a GF, doesn't have a GFCI in, like, the bathroom or the kitchen, you know, you got this smoke alarm, if you need batteries or whatever. A lot of times, uh, your windows, your windows have to open and close, and they have to lock. Um, so a lot of tenants, they know how to pass an inspection. And if the tenant has been there for a while before you bought the property, Nine times out of ten, they're going to pass that, especially because even if the unit is not up to date, you, you know, they know what to do. Um, but if you are bringing in a new tenant that's on Section 8, you're going to have to pass an inspection anyway just to get them in there. And then you just make sure that everything works, everything is kind of in order for them to pass it uh, when they inspect it. Because if you fail the inspection, all that's going to happen is they're going to tell you why you failed, and what you have to fix. And then they'll come back out and reinspect it. And if you pass it, you know, if everything was fixed, you'll pass and you're good. If you if you fail again, they'll stop your Section 8 payments. Um, so that money that comes in the first of the month, they'll stop it <laughs> until you fix what they said needs to be fixed. I think that that list, too, you named some, some of the things that mm -hmm. are on the list, like the fray carpet, the windows, et cetera. Those are just some of the things 
the list could be significantly long or it may be shortened just depending on where you live. Always, always, always do your due diligence and check with your local Section 8 HUD office to see what exactly that list consists of in your area. Um, but just going back to what I was saying, that checklist is great for any tenant because it itemizes everything like room to room. Like what, you know, cause some, some landlords, they don't think about these things because some of them, some of the things that they consider to be, um, big section eight considers to be big. Sorry. Our dog is snoring in the background. If you hear it, <laughs> <laughs> he is like, he had a rough day at work, Man, but, <laughs> but, um, the things on the list, it may be minute to you. But you got to think, you know, when that tenant is coming into your unit, you know, not everybody sees the same thing. So you may have a very meticulous tenant and that checklist definitely helps for Section 8 and non-Section 8 tenants. And you always want to make sure anyway, as a landlord, um, that you're keeping your units up to par. Now, I'm going to give you just a couple of... uh... They call the most common violations for a housing inspections on Section 8. Just to kind of give you guys an example of what um, some people failed in inspection uh, with Section 8. So, like chipped or flaking paint. Flaking paint. So, if you got kids especially in the Especially if it's lead-based. Yeah, especially if it's lead-based. Like, man, we didn't have to go through that. But, yeah, you want to just paint over it. You know, and, and, the, and the crazy thing is, and it's going to sound kind of bad, just slap some paint on it. A lot of these things, you just just fix real quick. They don't have to look nice because, again, this is Section 8. All they really care is that it just don't look bad. Um, so chip paint, fix that. Uh, any doors that lead outside, they must, they must have locks and deadbolts. Um, that's a quick fix. You can go to Home Depot, get, get you a set of locks for 12 13 bucks something. Um, the lack of window locks on the first floor. So if you have upstairs, downstairs... The windows on the first floor need to lock. Uh, lock and unlock. Yeah, lock and unlock. Uh, window screens. If yes. you have no window screens in place. Now, quick thing, when you talk about Section 8 unit. <laughs> and the yeah. window screens for some reason. Take all your window screens off. <laughs> yeah. They don't need them. Yeah, take them take them judges off. Put them in a garage or somewhere you can store them. So when you get a, a, a nice, you know, a, a better tenant. And you're trying to get more rent. It don't matter if they Section 8 or not. Yeah, that's true. For some reason, tenants do not know how to take care of screens. No, they just like, it's like they see it and they just like, let me knock this out. Right. Put a hole in it. Like, yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) Man, that's crazy. So, yeah, (laughs) window screens, take them jokers (laughs) off. Uh, If you have a a screen door, take that off. Mm. They don't need that. That's just something... The, the thing we're saying, why we're saying that is because if they put a hole in the screen or that they mess it up, if you you can fail the inspection because of that. Yep. So the best thing to do is just take it off. It's like that Dave Chappelle episode where Rick James is like, oh, yeah, F, F your couch. Yeah, F your, yeah. They be like, F your screens. Anything they can just put out of place, they just do it. Like, take, <laughs> take all that off. You know what I mean? Window screens, wind, screen doors. And uh, garbage disposals, sometimes it's best for you to not have them. 
because they get kids or grown folks put stuff in the in the garbage disposal. Yeah, we and had to like, fix it from one of our tenants, and he yeah. was like, "What's that metallic noise?" I'm like, "Did you drop a fork down there?" Or reached in there, and it was like some metal balls. I don't know where the hell they came from. But I was like, "Man, like grown folks don't know how to use a garbage disposal, <laughs> and they can it can mess up, you know. And if if you have a garbage disposal and it does not work, you can fail your inspection." So sometimes it's best to just take that joke around, put a pee pipe on there, and just call it a day. They just have to don't put no food or nothing in that drain. Um, if you got exposed as asbestos, now the asbestos. what? How you say? How you say? Asbestos. Asbestos. That's a weird asbestos. word. Asbestos. Asbestos. <laughs> asbestos. <laughs> hey, whatever it is, it sounds dangerous. A B. <laughs> Look, I'm reading <laughs> asbestos. Okay, I all said right. That. I, I, you gonna make me say it wrong? You all right, we'll go with you anyway, y'all know what that is. <laughs> that kill people slowly. Yeah, it does. Uh, improper pressure release valves on your hot water heaters and boilers. Mm. That's something that you know. If you if you got somebody putting, unless you know how to do it yourself. You got somebody putting in your hot water heater, they gonna know how to do all that. And in some places, especially on the West Coast, you, you have, have to have certi- certification and all that. Yeah, you got to be licensed, and it has to, uh, yeah, certification, but it also has to have uh, the earthquake straps. Oh yeah, we so did have to have everywhere straps. doesn't need it. It's not just the West Coast. There's some places in um, the Midwest that get earthquakes, tremors, or whatever. The mountain areas, um, the Rocky Mountains. So. Um, handrails on your stairs. You have to have handrails on the stairs. You got kids especially. Um, non-working smoke detectors and carbon monoxide detectors. Throw some batteries in them jokers. Uh, or if you got no smoke detectors on each level. Again, if you have multiple levels, each level needs smoke detectors. Um, no fan or other ventilation in the bathroom. You need some form of ventilation in your bathroom. Yeah, You're taking hot showers. It needs to go somewhere because also that creates mold. Black mold. So you need to make sure it's ventilated going outside. Uh, the, t- the caulking around the tub. It can't look. You can't have all that black mold crap around the tub. It got, just scrape it off and go to Home Depot. Pay you about what? About 10 bucks maybe. Get you a tube of caulk and a gun. And go there and do that yourself. It ain't going to take you long. Uh, and then the windows and the doors have to be weather weather tight. So weather stripping. Um, that don't cost much. So a lot of these things don't cost much, but you can actually fail your inspection, which means that you can be costing yourself hundreds of dollars each month if they stop it. Yeah, you hustling backwards. Yeah, yeah for sure you're hustling backwards. <laughs> yeah. For real, for real. So that's a... Uh, yeah, that's uh, what we say, inspections. Mm-hmm. But we did miss one thing, though, But uh, about how to, uh, should a tenant rent be more or less than the Section 8 tenant. <sighs> you want to answer that real quick? Yeah, I know we kind of well, skipped over Well, no, because, I mean, I think it's self-explanatory. Not really, because we'll say, I'll say why real quick. So the but question, doesn't, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Doesn't Section 8, Ask you what the other tenants are paying. If you have four units or less, mm-hmm. if you have if you have four units or less, they don't ask you. You don't have to put it down. Mm-hmm. But if you have more than four units, they do. They mm-hmm. want to know what you're charging them because when they do their fair market value rent, 
and they're looking at what you charge your other tenants, they don't want to be the only one paying you the most. Mm. So, again, for those who have FHA, where the most you can get is four units with FHA, you don't really have to worry about that. Um, now, that's four units or less. Four units or less. So now, in some cases, this is the advantage of Section Eight. Some cases, Section Eight pays you more rent than the market rent. In our case, that that was the case. That was our case. <laughs> Section Eight was paying more money than the market. So at one time, the market rent was thirteen. Section Eight was paying thirteen twenty-five. And then the market went up a little bit to like 1350, 1340. And they was paying 14. They was paying 14. Now I think in that same area, they're 1450. Um, and then if you had an extra bedroom, it went up to 1875. And oh if you had God. an extra bedroom and bathroom, it went up to 2100. Depending on your area, especially like in Seattle area, oh my God, it was crazy. If you had three bedrooms, you was winning. Um, just to show you too, man, you know, we ain't even getting that. But with your rent, again, um, you don't want to, like, gouge your tenant because even though they may not be paying that much on their portion, it could still be more than they, you know, it may it may make them struggle. So you don't want to force your tenant out. But at the same time, if you're paying the utilities, get your money. You know what I'm saying? Section 8 paying for it, put it in. The most they can say is no. And they can tell you what they what they will give you for your rent. So right. if you say, "Hey, I want fourteen hundred, they may say, "Hey, the most we can do is thirteen fifty. Hey, take that thirteen fifty because you know if you have to put it back out on the market and get somebody who's uh, unsubsidized, that thirteen fifty may be a lot for them too. So it may be you know just in your best interest to go ahead and get that um, section eight in it. All right. Anything else you want to add? On that, I do not. All right. Well. Again, Section 8 is a very taboo topic um, in real estate, especially if you're a landlord or an investor. We believe, Ramon and I believe, not to get all religious or whatever, but God put this here for everybody. So there's enough out here for everyone to live. And there's no reason why people should be so judgmental about, you know, a a section, someone who receives welfare or a Section 8 tenant because everyone needs a place to live. And Section 8, we didn't say, Section 8 is not just in the hood. There's there's some working class neighborhoods you wouldn't even think of that has Section 8. There's there's people you look at every day you wouldn't know has Section 8. Yes, yes, because our our tenants were not the typical Section 8 looking tenants. Yeah, they was. And when yeah, none of them, I mean, as far as what, because when they say, you got to think about it, when people are like, oh, you know, Section 8 tenants are in the hood, oh, we didn't, we didn't, our place wasn't in the hood. It was, according to everybody else. Yeah, Seattle. but I mean, who, who jogs and walks <laughs> their dog in the hood? Well, now they do. And, when we moved there, everybody was like, oh, where you but live we, at? But yeah. wait a minute, though. We didn't live around a lot of people that were, you know, black or brown. Mm-hmm. Everybody was there's a large Ukrainian community yeah. where we were, so you know that because that's typically what you think of when you think yeah. you know that stereotype of Section Eight. They think they automatically say, "Oh, we don't want you know the black around tenant." That's that's what they're saying. We know those cold words. We know what mm-hmm. that means. You know, we ain't crazy, but <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, every you know, God put this here for everybody. There's enough out here for everybody. So mm. if you are a landlord and you know, you're kinda, you know, speculating or a little apprehensive about whether or not you want to uh, receive Section 8, do do your own research. You know, just don't take our word for it, but do your own research because the area that we stayed in was actually nice. We had parks and schools and grocery stores within walking distance. And, you know, it, 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 was, it wasn't bad at all. So with all that said, you know, just... Hey, take Section 8. <laughs> that's money I'm telling you the first of everybody like she said there's people who I think they're getting a lot more owners accepting Section 8 now right because of COVID this co- yeah, it's COVID and it yeah. might be another COVID you know the next one might be called something else we don't know but you just won't have to worry about that, that portion every month on the first like you know if a lot of people who don't have Section 8 tenants they might be struggling because some of these tenants are like like I ain't got it I ain't get my unemployment check yet, or you know, sometimes they get their unemployment check, but you might not be the first person they want to pay. Right. They might got car notes and food and kids, and they like, look. I mean, I was always told to keep a roof over your, roof over your head first. I but mean, that makes sense. You know, that's that's the most pragmatic. But everybody don't have that. Would you say common sense ain't so common? Yeah. <laughs> so some people they don't. They think, oh, well, you know, because you know there is a misconception about landlords like all landlords is rich. Oh, y'all got money, y'all. Right. But there's some of them, you know, mom and pop, you know, they still got bills too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because these, a lot of these governors are saying, okay, no owner can evict anybody. Okay, but these banks are still wanting you to pay. Yeah, you still got to pay your mortgage. The, the bank is like, or, yeah, but we still, yeah, we still need this mortgage. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a, a, a government-backed loan, you still owe your mortgage as the owner. But here it is, a governor's telling the tenants that you don't got to pay rent. So, I mean, it's crazy. But I think, you know, Section 8, again, there's so many. There's disadvantages, don't get me wrong. But there's disadvantages with anybody. I think there's more advantages to having Section 8 than to not. So, um, and like I said, a lot of investors don't want to touch Section 8. That's kind of like your you're opening into real estate. Like, right. that's a little way for you to get in. You know, they don't want to do That's an advantage it. because you'll always have a, t- a tenant. It's an advantage because a lot of times, like you said, those those owners, they don't want to touch real estate, uh, Section 8 because they're like, <laughs> oh, it's in the hood. Those C&D properties, C&D class, you know. Those are your cash cows. Those, those are your cash cows. And if you're not afraid, you a lot of times we grew up in areas like that. So, you know, you're like, oh, man, I, the things that they're afraid of, I'm not. So let me go in here and let me buy this property. Yeah, they got Section 8. Cool. I'll take some more. And like she said, you buy that property at a good deal. Because there's deals out here like that. There's properties out here just sitting because no no investor wants to touch it because they don't like the area. Uh, mainly because they don't like the area. So, you, man, you can throw some Section 8 tenants up in there and be... Psh, but see, that's the thing. Like I said, everybody needs a place to live. Just because we both grew up in what was called the hood, but it didn't feel like that, you know, at the time. Nah, actually, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes. But people need a place to live. Everybody that live in the hood is not sitting at home all day, mm-hmm. shoot them up, bang, bang, selling dope out their house. You know, people going to work. They want safe places to I'm live, I'm glad too. you said that, though, because that is something... 
that's kind of a little indicator when you're looking for a property. If you kind of just drive by, and if you notice that the cars are gone in the morning, in, time, in the morning time, that means they're going to work. They like, hey, work. Them tenants is working. That's what you want. You don't want them cars to be there all day, especially if you got to pay utilities. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're going to be mad. You're like, man, all y'all doing is sitting up eating, drinking, using the toilet, and, and washing clothes. <laughs> you don't care if they eat and drinking. All you care about is they flush the toilet and take the showers all day. I'm paying the utilities. You, I don't want you to do nothing. <laughs> hey, you flush that toilet once a day. You gotta take a shower. Use that hose outside. Yeah, you know, just spray bottle. You know, what I'm saying? you washing clothes twice a month outside. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Heck no. Yeah, you you. That's a good indicator. You, you want a working class property. You know, people going to work. I don't care where they going to work. Burger King. It don't matter. You still right. making money. Like as long as your car is gone. Hey, a man who don't work don't eat. Exactly. So, hey, I hope we uh kind of answer some questions on Section 8 or kind of solidify what some people might have been thinking or maybe even convinced you to, you know, kind of uh, give that an option, you know. Yeah. Um, again, Section 8 is not the... The boogeyman. The boogeyman, yeah. It, it's just do your research. If you have any questions, you could always reach out to us at Slow Wealth Invest excuse me, mm-hmm. at slowwealth.com. That's I-N-V-E-S-T at S-L-O-E-W-E-A-L-T-H.com. Um, again, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are truly grateful for every ear that is receptive to what we're saying. Um, if, you know, if you hear something that you question or if, if you want to call us out on something, Invest at slowwealth.com is a great place. And we'll be sure not to answer. No. <laughs> no. We will we are we are just excited uh, that uh, so many people have been so supportive of us. Um and please subscribe. Please subscribe. Click that love, aka like us button. Um, you can listen to us on Spotify, iTunes. I got to write this right this time. Mm, I finally, said iTunes. Finally. Um, Google Play. Uh, we have a Facebook page, Slow Wealth. Again, that is Success Lives on Elevation, S-L-O-E, Wealth. Um, leave comments and tell your friends and family that there is a investment couple out here giving y'all the game. Give me out some of that knowledge. Hey, and you know what? I just want to say this real quick because I'm, I'm kind of happy because I'm starting to see a lot more businesses being made. Um, you know, just like back in the recession in 2008, believe it or not, there were so many people starting businesses because it's like now it's really a good time. Interest rates is low. You, you can get so many loans to start your businesses. People are just coming out with all these different ideas. And I'm starting to also see a lot more people get into stocks and real estate. Um, so I'm I'm just happy I see that. Like it, yes, let's it, change the distribution of wealth. Wealth cannot go to one class of persons and stay in their families forever um, and a certain types of people. Again, God put this out here for everybody. He didn't just say these people, these people, these people can have that. Everybody is capable of... Um, living in a land of milk and honey so get out here 
allow yourself to receive the fruits of your labor and enjoy the fruits of your labor because you only receive uh, one lifetime mm-hmm. and this is hey this is not a movie you don't get re- you don't get to take two and take three this is it so you make it count you make it count yeah we love y'all again thank you I am Kendra and this is Ramon and we are out I love you